Chapter 58 of The Wild Huntress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shasta, Oakland, California. The Wild Huntress by Thomas Maine Reed chapter fifty eight a rampart on wheels for a time our hearts throbbed more lightly the pressure of apprehension was removed we fancied the savages had either not yet become fully aware of the advantage of storming our position or that the certainty of losing some of their number had intimidated them from making the attempt they had abandoned their design whatever it was and intended waiting for the night the favorite fighting time of the indian this was just what we desired and we were congratulating ourselves that the prospect had changed in our favor our joy was short-lived the enemy showed no signs of repose clustered upon the plain they still kept to their horses by this we knew that some other movement was intended the chiefs were again in the centre of the crowd and the red hand conspicuous he was heard haranguing his warriors though we could not guess the purport of his speech his gestures told of fierce rage his glances now and then directed toward us betokened a spirit of implacable vengeance at the conclusion of his speech he waved his hand in the direction of the wagon the gesture appeared to be the accompaniment of a command it was promptly and instantly obeyed a dozen horsemen dashed out from the group and galloped off their course was straight up the valley toward the scene of their late strife those who had remained upon the ground dismounted and were seen giving their horses to the grass this might have led us to anticipate a suspension of hostilities but it did not the attitude of our enemies was not that of purposed repose on the contrary they came together afoot and engaged in what appeared to be an eager consultation the chiefs spoke in turn some new scheme was being discussed we watched the party who had ridden off as anticipated the wagon proved to be the butt of their excursion having reached it they halt and dismounting became grouped around it it is impossible for some time to tell what they are doing even the glass does not reveal the nature of their movements there are others besides those who rode out and the white tilt appears in the midst of is dark cluster of men and horses their errand at length becomes obvious the crowd is seen to scatter horses appear harnessed to the tongue 
and wheels are in motion the vehicle is turned round upon the plain we see that some half-dozen horses are hitched on with men seated upon their backs as teamsters they make a wheel and head down the valley in the direction of the butte they are seen urging the animals into a rapid pace the wagon no longer loaded leaps lightly over the smooth sward the horses are spurred into a gallop and amidst the shouts of the savage drivers drag the huge vehicle after them with the rough rapidity of a mountain howitzer in a few minutes it advances to the ground occupied by the dismounted band who surround it upon its arrival we upon the summit have a full view of all we recognize the well-known troy wagon with its red wheels blue body and ample canvas roof the lettering troy new york is legible on the tilt a strange sight in the midst of its present possessors what can their object be with the wagon their actions leave us not long in doubt the horses are unharnessed and led aside half a dozen savages are seen crouching under the axles and laying hold of the spokes as many more stand behind screened from our sight by the tilt-cloth the body and boxing the pole projects in the direction of the mound their object is now too painfully apparent without thinking of the analogy of the trojan horse we see that this monster of a modern troy is about to be employed for a similar purpose yes shielded by the thick planking of its bed by its head and hind boards by its canvas covering and other cloths which they have cunningly spread along its sides the savages may approach the mound in perfect safety such is their design with dismay we perceive it we can do naught either to retard or hinder its execution those under the vehicle can spoke the wheels forward without in the least exposing their bodies to our aim even their hands and arms are not visible buffalo robes and blankets hang over draping the wheels from our view those behind are equally well screened and can propel the huge machine without risk of danger we note all these circumstances with feelings of keen apprehension we adopt no means to hinder the movement we can think of none since none is possible we are paralyzed by the sense of our utter helplessness we are allowed but little time to reflect upon it amidst the shouts of the savages we hear the creaking of the wheels we behold the mass in motion 
Onward it comes, toward the mound, advancing with apparently spontaneous motion, as if it were some living monster, some horrid mammoth, approaching to destroy and devour us. Had it been such a monster, its proximity could scarce have inspired us with greater dread. We felt that our destruction was equally certain. The savages would now surround us, advance up the rocks, spring upon us from all sides at once, and although we might fight to the death which we had determined to do, still we must die. The knowledge that we should die fighting, and with our arms in our hands, that we should fall upon the corpses of our enemies, avenging death before parting with life, this knowledge was but a feeble ray to support and cheer us. Though no cowards, not one of us, we could not look forward to our fate without a feeling of dread. The certainty of that fate we could no longer question. Even the time seemed to be fixed. In a few minutes the assailants would be upon us, and we should be engaged in the last struggle of our lives, without the slightest probability of being able to save them. End of chapter 58